0: Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Episode 77. Today, we are continuing our conversation inspired by Advent and the Incarnation. Hello, Father.
1: Hello, daughter. It's good to be back and doing this.
0: Always, always. We were definitely just laughing about some funny memes. It was great.
1: Yes. We both have the rare uh, privilege of having taken at least four years of Latin. <laughs> and so, uh, yes. <laughs>
0: yeah, they, were, they were very nerdy memes. So exactly. I'm, I'm going to pull us into a, a happy little icebreaker here. When you think of celebrating Christmas, what stands out more to you? Christmas Eve or Christmas Day?
1: Oh, the day. Yeah, yeah. Christmas Day. Christmas Eve is usually spent spent in panicked last minute preparation. <laughs> we have to wrap everything, <laughs> so yeah, definitely Christmas Day. Yes,
0: Christmas Day. I I feel like they're almost. Separ- I I feel like they have their own places in my mind. Speak my mind because I think about all the wrapping and stuff. But I feel like I usually actually am up past everybody wrapping. But I'm like, oh, I'll just put on you know, a happy devotional or Christmas music or something and just like try to enjoy it and it's fun and I'm Santa Claus. But also, um, we, we've been going to, um, most years we've been going to a lovely family's house, um, for Christmas Eve who goes to our church and they provide a nice little fellowshipping time. And that has really stuck out to me as an adult. It just, I, Christmas Eve didn't used to be a thing that I, you know, I, christmas day was definitely the thing but something about being able to fellowship with people on christmas eve has been um, very
1: lovely that is true being with uh being with friends on christmas eve you know eating food chatting singing carols mm-hmm. with a violinist it's all cool Oh, yes. <laughs> very
0: good but yes no christmas day is i very much look forward to the day itself being with you and the family all right well we are in our Advent series right now, Advent and Incarnation. We've talked about forming and filling and high priest theology. I'm loving it. <laughs> um, so today, let's continue the conversation with a topic that is dear to our ministry, walking with God.
1: Huh, imagine that. <laughs> imagine
0: that Our name is our mission. So we often talk about what it looks like for us to walk with God. But he walks with us too, and I want to make sure we cu- kind of cover both ground um, today. Like, we're, since Genesis all the way through the Hebrew Scriptures, we see God's incarnational presence until we come to the ultimate incarnation of Christ, when the Gospels depict His human birth. And um, I I think it's really important to note how much He has cared to walk with us. Um, so. First, I think you've done a great job of talking about the incarnation in a way that people would understand in the prior two episodes. But I realized we didn't address the word itself, and it might be one of those tricky words that people are like, "You keep using this word. I do not understand." Yeah. yeah. Um, so, could you give a, a quick explanation for what what it yeah. is? Incarnation.
1: So when I hear incarnation, my honestly, my first thought is carne asada. <laughs> it's just like carne. Uh, so. Because it's the Latin word for meat, Mm all right, or flesh or, you know, body. So the idea is uh, God, who is spirit, came in, right, carne, flesh. And so the incarnation is this mysterious thing in which how can the infinite, all-knowing, all-wise, right, Uh, you know, all-powerful God have limited himself in such a way that he could become a baby, right? Go through the nine-month process of of being in a woman's womb to going through the birth canal. And there's at least all kinds of speculation and questions like, you know, at what point did he have self-awareness? At what point did he remember eternity? At what point did he learn all this? Was he born, you know, knowing he was, you know, Still being the one who held all things together, but you know, I mean, what? How did this work? Right? There are so many questions and so many. uh, That's a uh,
0: deep theological pool. You're. (laughs) Yeah, well, you
1: know that, but this is, you know, the kind of thing that Christians used to meditate on, exactly. Right, in terms of how do does one worship? Because as you're worshiping God, meditating on the profoundness of of what He has done is one of the ways that we worship and so the simple answer of of the god god becoming flesh uh now we look at well not just how did that happen and what in the world how does that even work but then the question of well why did he do it and so we've sort of been camping out on the why he did it mm-hmm. but it is um it is one of those really things that's worth pondering Mm -hmm. and thinking through how that all all happened because it shows the humility of god my my, you know your grandfather my my father used to say that god shows part of god's greatness is his ability to limit himself It's like if god couldn't limit himself he would in some ways be a robot who just had to do whatever the maximum thing was that he you know he could do, but his ability to limit himself and uh to not force everything to happen to not be fatalistic and not cause everything that happens to happen to and and to limit himself in the incarnation is actually part of the greatness of God, like he is so limitless that he can limit himself mm-hmm. if that makes sense so it's a uh uh it really is a marvel. And uh obviously, we could uh, spend quite a bit of time just uh, oh sure, dwelling on that,
0: yeah, just like our the church fathers and mothers did. so i I would also just add to that in in very practical terms that incarnation has to do with embodiment and and you can even hear the word in um perhaps a more commonly culturally used term reincarnation, where, you know, anyway. I, I feel Yeah, like that's
1: reincarnation a, means let's get incarnate again,
0: right? Right, <laughs> yeah, which is, embodied again. Yeah. So that's a that's a different, to, different topic. But I just, in terms of placing it in people's minds on what it means, um, maybe we'll have a lot
1: of an episode on reincarnation someday.
0: <laughs> someday. All right. Well, let's let's continue on with this um, understanding of incarnation. I want to know, like, what is your practical understanding for incarnation for um, in terms of God with us.
1: Yeah, we've been kind of focusing on this idea of with, right? That God wants to walk with us. And you go back to the very beginning. And I remember one of the first talks I ever gave at a, a Deeper Walk conference, and it was t- 2008, like mm-hmm. one of the very first ones. Uh, <laughs> had, I was on uh, from Genesis 5 genealogy. You know, if you only get one shot at talking to people, you know, always preach from a genealogy. That was kind of the, and uh, the Genesis 5 genealogy is actually packed with all kinds of uh, interesting things that you wouldn't, you know, it would be easy to gloss over. But um, one of them is this idea that each generation, there's 10 generations there, they each end with the terms, and then he died. Except one person, right? The seventh from Adam, Enoch, doesn't end with and he died, and so it immediately draws your attention to Enoch and go, okay, so what's different about this guy? It, it it does, it focuses your attention very dramatically. Like, and not only that, but everybody else is living seven, eight, nine hundred years, and he's gone in three hundred sixty-five. He doesn't die. What's the key? And twice we read about him that he walked with God. And what that does is it gives us a very clear indication in a literary sort of way of what it is that God's looking for from us. Mm-hmm. He wants us to walk with him. That's that was the key. And so when it summed up what it was about Enoch that uh, brought him eternal life, if you will, that brought him all this, it was that he walked with God. And then later we see the same phrase walking with God used of Noah to describe what made him special. And we see it used of Abram. And Abraham is uh, that he walked with God. And even of Adam and Eve, and what they were doing in the garden is when one term described as walking, right? And God was walking in the cool of the evening. So, this uh one of the reasons for that is that the Hebrew doesn't actually have a word for relationship. There's not a Hebrew word that we would translate God wants to have a relationship with you. So, walking is a metaphor for relationship. Someone said, the person walked with God. What they're saying is he had a relationship with God. They were uh, intimate and they had uh, conversations. Right, And so when we look at what does it look like to have a walk with God, one of the other things that jumps out, of, out at us from the book of Genesis is how much God speaks. Right, He speaks to create the world, but then he appears to... Uh, Abraham and talks to him he appears to other people and talks to them he talks to Noah he's and you begin to realize it's like he's communicating on a regular basis with his people so something about walking with God involves being in a listening conversational connection with him uh and then it is characterized by trust and the way you know you trust God is you actually do what he says so Like, you know, when he told Adam and Eve, don't eat this fruit, we know that they didn't trust him because they ate the fruit. And when we say that Abraham trusted God, we know that he did because he was so sure that Isaac was the chosen seed, he was willing to put him to death, believing he would be raised from the dead, as Hebrews tells us. And so you look at all this and and, and you're at this connection between... Uh, and walking with God between this idea that trust that leads to obedience and the idea that part of how we know what to trust is through what God communicates to us. And so he communicates to us, um, in a variety of ways. Um, and ultimately, uh, through scripture. Uh, but I was, But the Holy Spirit primarily, because the Holy Spirit is even the author of Scripture. So all of God's communication to us is through Spirit. And you think about it also, then the incarnation is the logos or the word becoming flesh. And in a sense, it's also an effort at God to communicate with us. That's why, again, the book of Hebrews can open with, you know, in the past, he spoke to us through prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. So you can't separate this idea of communication from relationship and walking with the idea of, you know, hopefully you're not walking in silence, you know, you're walking in, in conversation and you're also then walking and growing in your trust that is leading you to greater obedience and and uh, quick obedience. And it's one of the things that amazed me about Abraham was uh, not only did he, when he was told, you know, to take Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. Uh, it says he did it the next morning. It's like he got up and he obeyed quickly. And I think that that's one of the other signs of faith is that the more our faith grows, the quicker we are to do what God is asking us to do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Saying that, if I remember correctly in the Hebrew there, I had to translate that, that, uh, as a project in school. And I'm pretty sure it was like, not just the morning, but like early, like right crack of dawn morning, you know? um, yeah. Well, and I, I also just, it strikes me that when you talked about Adam and Eve and that walking, it was God walking in the cool, like, and you see God, it, it's not just about us having to walk to where he is. He comes to us. Um, and you know, first John four nineteen, he, we love because he first loved us. Um, that. He draws us, he comes to us. That's that's part of the incarnational nature of him is that it, it, he's not just sitting on his mountain waiting for us to climb up to him. He's coming down to yeah. us and he is walking with us and he is seeking us. And then we seek him in turn.
1: And what happens when we walk with God is that in a sense, the incarnation expands because Christ now wants to incarnate himself in us. And that is... The idea that the Holy Spirit now living in me has a chance to live in through my flesh. And Galatians 2.20 says this very clearly. In fact, let me uh, get it up here so that I get it correct. I won't read in Greek, but that, <laughs> it's here. Uh, so what I found interesting about this is um, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. So most of us are familiar with this verse. If not, we're familiar with the Phillips, Craig, and Dean song. (laughs) (laughs) So I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. So this is, this again, this idea that my life is now becoming an extension of Christ's life. And so he is now incarnate in me. And it says, the life I now live in the flesh. And the Greek word there actually isn't soma, which is the word for body. It's the word sarx, which is the word for flesh. And so it's interesting. It uses the the uh, language of incarnation of incarnate. In it's the uh, the Latin word for sarks would be carne. And so uh, I actually might be a different ending, but <laughs> it's the uh, the point here is uh, it's not the Latin word, but the point here is that Christ wants to reproduce His life in us, and that's why Paul ends with the life I live. I'm not living anymore, but Christ is living in me, and ultimately that's what our walk with God is all about, is uh, wanting Christ's life to be incarnate within us, and that requires something on our part, right? That's what we call the crucified life. You know, because I have been crucified with Christ, I now need to live a crucified life in which I am... Fully surrendered to Christ. Now, none of us does this perfectly. We've already talked about our weaknesses and the high priest and all that. But I think that that it still lays out there that our our best life, if you will, is a crucified life, and it is one in which we are trusting God, obeying Him quickly, and uh, through the Holy Spirit living within us, we're developing that conversational walk with God.
0: Mm-hmm. So good. Can you can you draw that into the Christmas season <laughs> into, <laughs> into Advent? What is
1: well yes so one of the things that we're doing at advent is we are preparing our hearts for a connection with god and so you think about well what does it look like to prepare your heart and you it means first of all that you stop you slow down and you give yourself some space to meditate some space to think and one of the things we think about is god what is getting in the way of my walk with you right what is hindering me from being closer to you from having christ more incarnate within me what's getting in the way and and you know one of the things we teach a deeper walk is there's three main things that do this one is there's something we need to repent of that is keeping us from that kind of the walk we were looking for with god two there's somebody we need to forgive and sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. Sometimes we need to forgive God. Sometimes we need to forgive somebody else. And thirdly, it's often that we are in um, bondage to lies that we're, we're believing, often because of pain in our past and wounds from our past. Uh, we are believing lies that keep us from trusting him and keep us from pressing in. And so you look at all that, you know, preparation and advent. As to do with this. So, Advent season traditionally has started with a time of repentance, but largely when you think about repentance, it's not just repentance from actions, but you can kind of bring repentance from false beliefs into that, and even repentance from the bitterness that we've held on to instead of uh, the forgiveness. And all of that is part of of how Advent connects to um, preparing ourselves for that deeper walk with God.
0: Thank you. You're you're very impressive, Father. You just <laughs> that's
1: that's my goal. So you, no, I think <laughs> right? well, I, I think it's. Uh,
0: I didn't really prepare you for that question, and that was a great answer. Um, <laughs> all right, let me <laughs> let me pull in a note from one of our listeners. She writes, "I just wanted to say I really appreciate that you all, that you all are going over what authority we have in Christ regarding spiritual warfare." This has been a relevant subject in my life currently, and I have been seeking God in prayer about this topic. It has been a huge blessing to me to hear your episodes where you all have been discussing this topic. Thank you so much. So thank you for listening and thank you for, for that feedback. All right, father, end of this episode, any closing thoughts? Well,
1: when it comes to, uh, this Galatians 2.20 idea of crucified life and walking with God, the, the story that always comes to my mind is, is that classic, My Heart, Christ" Home, that uh, it's been around for a couple of generations now. I think it was written by a Presbyterian minister. And uh, it starts off with this idea of inviting Jesus to come into your life, and he moves in, and immediately some things change. It's just his presence in your life. Brings life, and there's a something has changed, and he lights the fire in the fireplace, and there's a new warmth, and he brings music to the home, and all these things, and there's just this notable change that takes place because he's moved in. And then along the way, you begin to realize that I have different rooms in my life. I have uh, a study, I have a rec room, I have a closet, I have other rooms, and I need to start bringing Jesus into those rooms as well. And eventually, at the end of the story, he says, you know what? Here's the deed to the house. Uh, You just take ownership. And I like the story because it is a model of that movement from salvation to lordship that, that we all go through. But I also look at it as like an emotional healing kind of story, and that is that all of us have rooms in our lives that perhaps Christ is not as incarnate in right he he has moved into and he is in control of certain rooms in our heart but there are others where he is not and often he's not in control of those heart those those rooms because that's where our trauma is and it's where our pain is and it's where we don't trust him and so not only do we sometimes deny him access to rooms in our heart because of pride or rebellion but we sometimes do it just out of the distrust that has come from the pain in our past. So I look at all this and that's why we connect emotional healing to the idea of how do I have a deeper walk? How do I connect with God at a deeper level is involves this idea of, I need to go to those places in my heart. They're not just not fully surrendered to him, but there's no connection with him yet at that point in that particular place. Doesn't mean I'm not saved. It just means that there's Uh, a connection that he wants to have that hasn't yet happened. So I just want to encourage people that, you know, we're all on a journey. We all have, uh, um, you know, most of us probably still have some rooms in there where we need to invite Christ. And uh, uh, the holiday season is actually a great time to take some time to meditate on this and ask God, you know, is there a room in my heart that has been off limits to you that you really want to get in and I'd be better off if you were there.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on the trail today. Deeper Walk exists to make heart focused discipleship the norm for Christians everywhere. If you'd like to support this cause, you can become a Deeper Walk Trailblazer with your monthly donation of $25 or more. And if you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the On the Trail podcast, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week.